Tap in the Keg Daily is live. For December 4th, we're talking about the Green Bay Packers. Big win over the Kansas City Chiefs. Why they are the most dangerous team in football. We'll also do Golden Kegs from the Packer game. Then we'll talk about Marquette's loss to Wisconsin and why there's a bigger problem than just the loss to your rival. And lastly, We'll recap the Bucs game with five things you need to know about that game. And maybe just a dash of Brewers. It is a loaded Monday show. Before we get going, you know what I'm going to ask you to do. What am I going to ask you to do? Follow us along on social media. Tap in the keg on Twitter. Tap in the keg sports on Instagram as well as TikTok and Facebook for that matter. Uh, and if you're already doing that and you're not subscribed to podcasts, if you're joining us from one of those channels... Uh, make sure that you are subscribed. We're on Apple, we're on Spotify, or wherever else you get your podcasts. We usually do a podcast four days a week, but lucky for you guys, we are doing five days this week. Uh, Mitch and I back tomorrow uh, just because of how the scheduling broke down. Uh, Mitch and I have to tape early this week, so you get Mitch and I early, and then I will be doing a pod after the in-season tournament. I was doing a pod after Marquette, Texas, and then if we have an in-season tournament on Thursday, I will say this, I'll caveat. I probably still will have a pod for you on Friday because I was going to say maybe I won't do a pod Friday and just ride it out. So maybe, that might be TBD. If the Bucks were to lose to the Knicks, potentially I would take Thursday off and then we'd, we'd just not have a pod to end the week, especially because Packers don't play. Oh yeah, yeah, that's probably what would happen. So I, I said there'd be five. If the Bucks continue to win in the in-season tournament, we'll have a podcast every day this week. The Bucs don't win, uh, we probably won't have one Friday. So that's that's what you got. Uh, I know you guys care so much. Uh, but yeah, Apple, Spotify, wherever else you get your podcasts, we are there um, and in the mix. And if you already are subscribed, uh, put this in the group chat, tell people about it. Uh, I don't think there are a lot of podcasts that are gonna tell you about everything. That aren't, you have to listen to one and then the other and then another for all this content. And you're gonna get it for, I think we're gonna probably be about an hour today. Um, and these, uh, these podcasts have gotten longer and longer, um, and which is great. I have no problem with that. Um, I think that just speaks to the kind of content that we're giving you. And I'd love to give more, uh, honestly. Uh, I, I'm thinking of different ways to do stuff as we head into the new year. Um, suggestions are always open. You know, you can always DM me on Twitter, tapping the keg, tapping the keg sports on Instagram. Um, I'm always open to ideas. I'm never going to close the door uh, on an idea. I, wa- I always want to listen to them. All right. Let's move on though and talk about the Green Bay Packers as the most dangerous team in the National Football League. The Green Bay Packers beat the Kansas City Chiefs and the Detroit Lions in back-to-back weeks. Not a lot of teams can say that, right? Not a lot of teams can say they beat the just beat the Lions and just beat the Chiefs. Those are two of the supposed best teams in the NFL. And the Packers, the youngest roster in the NFL, Malfoy does not care about that, by the way, um, they are. They beat both those teams back-to-back weeks. The Green Bay Packers were house money this week. We talked about it all week. We were like, all right, look, they grew up last week. They're in this good spot where they don't necessarily have to win this game. They can lose this game and still be all right playoff-wise, and it's a little bit of house money. And they cashed in all of the house money with a wire-to-wire victory. This is like having a good week in betting, and then on Sunday, you just hit everything. You had anytime touchdown parlay, you had parlays, you had anytime touchdown bets, you hit your regular bets, even when you're already having a plus week betting. This is the type of thing that the Green Bay Packers did against the Kansas City Chiefs on Sunday night. 
It was such an impressive victory for Green Bay. They were clicking on all parts of the game. Offensively, they came out and they absolutely dominated first two drives methodically down the field with this Chiefs offense that is, or Chiefs defense, excuse me, that is one of the best in football, right? Uh, They absolutely took it to that Kansas City defense. And that is a huge sort of check mark for this Packers team because they played the Sandy, uh, Los Angeles Chargers and the Detroit Lions the last two weeks who do not have exactly the best defenses in football. And if you wanted to be a hater, you could have said, oh, Jordan Love's only doing it against bad defenses, which would have been completely fair. Honestly, it would have been entirely fair until tonight. And then when he carved up the Kansas City defense, un- really unlike any other quarterback has this season, Jalen Hurts didn't do that, by the way, a couple weeks ago. Uh, Jordan Love kind of is in rarefied air and this Packers offense is in rarefied air it's all coming together right now for this Green Bay team and Aaron Jones's injury and I'm not trying to like Aaron Jones is the captain of this team but it's it's a weird blessing in disguise because it put the it put the 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 whole thing on Jordan and it made Jordan be the guy and it made Jordan grow up even more and all Jordan has done is grab it by the dick and say I am him I am the man, right? And that's something that all of us wanted. That was the best case scenario for the Green Bay Packers. And one of the other best case scenarios was Green Bay growing up at the right time. I said that all last week, that one of my biggest fears this season was the Packers would get hot late and you'd see this promise of a young team and you'd be like, oh my God, this team's gonna be so good next year and wait till next year. And you just could see sort of the foundation of the next great Packer team. Well, guess what? We're early. They knocked down that door. That That's happening right now for this Green Bay Packer team. And no one, and I mean no one in the NFC wants to play the Green Bay Packers. The Green Bay Packers don't know any better. They do not know any better that they're not supposed to be in the playoffs, that they're not supposed to win playoff games. They are young and hungry and having so much fucking fun on the football field. I can't remember a Packers team that has had this much fun playing the game of football. And I don't know if that's an Aaron Rodgers thing, if that's just the veterans that were on this roster, that it's just a bunch of young guys, again, who do not know any better. But they seem like they are having the best time and you just feel it on both sides of the football. And it's it's just been this wonderful experience for the last few weeks, right? I mean, since you know, coming back against the Chargers, and then beating up the Detroit Lions wire to wire, then the Chiefs wire to wire. It's like, holy shit, we have something here. And that's where the most dangerous team in the NFL comes into play. Last, I think it was last week, right? Or was it last week or the week prior where I talked to you guys after the game about how the 2021 Bengals kind of has been circling in my head where the Bengals were this young team with Joe Burrow and they had, a, and Jamar Chase for that matter, and they had a bunch of young pieces, and they all of a sudden grew up at the right time and surged into the playoffs. Now, we've pointed out the comparison doesn't really go further because the Bengals won their division, they had a home playoff game, they you know were eight and four at one point, so it's a little different. But Green Bay is on this ascend that there really is no sign of them stubbing their toe. Now, is there a very real chance? Absolutely. Absolutely. They could 
you know, fall on their face against the New York Giants or lose to Tampa or heaven forbid, lose to the Carolina Panthers, which has been something, again, another one that I, I keep thinking about. I'm such a psycho with this type of stuff that I think about games ahead of time. And I, like, I just, I, I could just see it going off the rails because I, we've had a lot of bad experiences in Charlotte, North Carolina. So that, yes, that could 100% happen. But again, going back to just this Green Bay demeanor, and they seem just very focused. They seem like they have a chip on their shoulder that they don't, but they also don't need to enunciate it. They don't need to tell people that they're pissed off, that they are, you know, out for blood. Jordan Love let it slip after the game, but not, nothing this week was him being braggadocious about it, him puffing out his chest saying like, oh yeah, Andy Reid doesn't know who I am. Well, I'm going to let Andy Reid know who the fuck I'm, I am. Now, granted, Aaron Rodgers wouldn't do something like that, but Rodgers would have told McAfee about that if Rodgers felt like there was some revenge. You know he would have. You didn't hear anything about that from Jordan Love. He carries a big stick and he does it silently. And that is leadership. And it's infectious around the locker room. And Green Bay is doing it without all their horses. Now, maybe they get Aaron Jones back. Maybe they get Jair Alexander back. And they get even better. But it's a weird thing where it's like, I don't know. Do we, do we want these guys back? Probably. It makes your team better. But Green Bay's figuring out how to do it without them. And it's, it's been a fantastic turnaround. I, I, I can't believe that we are here. It's an exhilarating feeling. It's different than years past. When Aaron Rodgers was finding ways to win, it, it just was like, well, we got Rodgers and it, it'll be okay. And you would kind of excuse the other things that were happening that, that weren't great, right? It's like your buddy that you love, but he just gets too drunk, but you, you make excuses for it. And that was kind of what you do with those Packer teams, Aaron Rodgers, because you always had the reliable quarterback. This year, you do have that reliable quarterback, but it feels like it's everybody chipping in. And, and that's not a dig at Rodgers. Don't, don't get it twisted. It's not. It's more about like just the, the feeling is different, right? And you're just having a great fucking time watching these, these Packers play because they're playing with such an exuberance. And I think that that is infectious and you, it, it comes out on the screen. And yeah, I, I've really enjoyed this run of football for Green Bay, starting with that Rams game, which was ugly as hell, but that was the beginning. There were the bones of it against Pittsburgh. That Pittsburgh game should have been a win. It wasn't, but it was the last time the Packers have took one on the chin. And since then, it has been not necessarily smooth sailing, but it, it, it's been the Packers sort of flexing their muscles and not necessarily being afraid. You can't say that the Packers are afraid of any team in the NFL after going toe-to-toe -to -toe with the Lions and Chiefs and winning the entire game and wire-to-wire -wire that entire football game. They're not going to be afraid of the San Francisco 49ers, who are clearly the best team in football. They're not going to be afraid of the Philadelphia Eagles, who I actually would love because Sirianni and LaFleur had a little bit of beef last year. And I, I would kind of love to see Jordan Love get a shot at that Philly defense. Um, I think that they're not afraid of the Dallas Cowboys. I don't. I know they're not afraid of the Detroit Lions. I know they would love another crack at the Atlanta Falcons, which is probably highly unlikely given the Cowboys or Eagles will be facing that Falcons team if they win the NFC South. I know they're not afraid of any of the wild card teams that are, are in there, uh, which we already mentioned one with the Cowboys or the Eagles.
it, they are they are a fearless football team, and that is that should scare everybody. You do not want to play those kind of teams. Those are the kind of teams that just beat you up and find ways to win. And you're like, how the fuck are they winning this bat, this football game? Matt Lafleur has taken the training wheels off. He told Pete Doherty after the game he didn't know what he meant by it, and he kind of kind of shook it off. But it's true. It, there has been a difference in how he's called Jordan Love the last three weeks, and it's made this team so much better. And he's doing so much fun shit with this offense. And anyone who thought that Matt LaFleur was tied to Aaron Rodgers needs to bury that in the ground. They need to have an apology to Matt LaFleur. Look, we're gonna do, I think we're gonna do some apology apology rankings tomorrow because it's it's bad. There's a lot of people that need to, people to say they're sorry to. And so I, I look at this and Matt LaFleur is running on all cylinders. Joe Barry's running on his usual one cylinder, but it's, it's good right now. It is good to be a Green Bay Packer fan. This is as good as I think we've felt as a, as a collective since really the 2021 season, you know, as we were heading towards, you know, the number one overall seed. And yes, that did not go our way. But at the same time, you know, we were that the vibes were high in December of that year and the vibes were high in 2020. I think 2020 was probably the time where we really felt like this team was going to win, win the championship. And then David Bakhtiari gets hurt and the vibes disappear. So you do have to temper expectations, but you can't help but look and see that the Packers don't play a team with an above 500 record the rest of the way. The Packers are still in the mix for the NFC North. The Lions winning today kind of put a dent in it. The Lions would really have to collapse. But like we've said before, the Lions, no collapses. December is the season to remember for collapses with when it comes to the Detroit Lions. So it's still there. It's still for the taking. The Green Bay Packers, though, this is the new era, and it is here. And boy, oh boy, is it dangerous. No one wants to play us, and I absolutely fucking love it. Moving on to Golden Kegs. We do this every week. Um, I'm sure you guys are, are familiar with it, where we go from the best and worst for the Green Bay Packers, five being the best, one being the worst. We talk about usually a lot of players, sometimes moments, sometimes things going on in the game, and get into it. So number five, or five kegger is Jordan Love. I, I don't know how you couldn't put Jordan Love as a five kegger, his numbers got a little skewed at the end, so maybe you could ding him for that. But I can't help but be impressed with Love's performance here. 25, 25 of 36, 267, three touchdowns. He had a quarterback rating of 118, a QBR of 90.3. Both of those were better than Mahomes. Actually, all except for the completion percentage, uh, Jordan Love outperformed Patrick Mahomes. And that's that's an incredible thing to note, right? And he was just on it the entire game. I mean, the pass that he made to Romeo Dobbs on the fourth and one off his back foot and just found it, found it in there was, at, I mean, that was the play of the year so far. I, Chris Collinsworth said, he's like, I don't care if the Packers aren't in the Super Bowl. Like, that's a play that I will think about all season. And yeah, that's on the DVD, right? If the Packers do win the championship, which again, is a very long shot, that's on the championship DVD for sure. That might be the start of it. And then he finds Christian Watson in the back of the end zone with an absolutely unreal catch from Christian Watson. 
but Love is just making all the right throws. He has one or two gunslinger moments where you're like, oh, shit. But it's, it's not as omnipresent as it was earlier this season where Love was just trying to do too much. He's letting the game come to him. His stats the last few weeks have been incredible. So I, I almost think this 5K is like a culmination of what we've seen out of Jordan Love. Here's the, I have the numbers. It's, I mean, it is just great. Uh, here what we have. J- Jordan Love, excluding the Hail Mary attempt, Jordan Love stats in the last five games. This is from Justice Muscata. 115 of 173, 1,374 yards, 11 touchdowns, and one interception. It is, at, I mean, just on another level. He also is the only quarterback, or him and Brock Purdy, are the only two quarterbacks to have four touchdown, four games with three touchdown passes and no interceptions. That there's no one else. Dak Prescott has three. And as I said on on X, like talk to your kids about a Jordan Love MVP campaign. Probably not. But I will leave you with this quote before I move on to another player. This was from Keyshawn Nixon. Twelve gave him the keys, and shit, he's driving the Porsche now. You're goddamn right. Love that. Uh, also, five kegs of Christian Watson. I mean, you want to say I fucked up about Christian Watson. I fucked up, okay? Like, I I was really tough on Christian Watson. I, I do think, like, part of it was just the family stuff was really wearing on me, I think, from, like, a fact of, like, okay, man, like, I just need you to just play ball. I don't need to hear the excuses. I, I know your family's passionate, but I just want you to play ball. And Love and Watson are finally connecting. And I think one of the things I did mention, you know, back when he was struggling was we were discounting the fact that it would take them time to get on the same page, that Watson was so comfortable with how Aaron Rodgers threw him the ball and the way that Watson plays, he kind of needs his quarterback to be like on the same page to match his speed and the match with the catch radius and the whole thing. And they, they are on the same page now. And that makes them even more lethal. Now, he did get hurt, but it seems like he's okay. So maybe it was a cramp. Uh, but six, seven catches or six catches for 71 yards. Or yeah, seven catches for 71 yards and two touchdowns for Watson. He had the most targets of anyone. Very much wide receiver one. He also had two carries for 15 yards on the ground. So, like, I mean, this was a great game from Christian Watson. Um, probably the game of the year for him. Uh, he has seemed to be a big bright lights guy. I mean, remember that the breakout game against Dallas last year. So, I, I mean, we all kind of owe Christian Watson an apology. Um, it's clear that, you know, he did not miss a step or that we should have traded him for Jonathan Taylor. Uh, Christian Watson's right there in the mix with all the talented wide receivers that the Green Bay Packers have. 5K is to Anders Carlson. I like, I got to give it up for Durs. We've all been really hard on Anders Carlson. I think some of us, including myself, have wanted Anders Carlson not to be on this roster. And the guy drilled a 40-yarder and he drilled a 48-yarder in, the 48-yarder would have went from 58. Like he absolutely drilled that football. And that was such a crucial moment in the game because it, it gave the defense at least a little bit of, at ease. Like, even if you did allow a touchdown to Patrick Mahomes, he would still need a two-point conversion to tie the game. And at, at, at very, very worst, you're going to overtime. And then you get another opportunity, right? So the fact that they were able to, you know, he was able to hit that field goal was massive. And then he hit the other one, which was great. And 
hopefully this is a sign of things to come. Hopefully he's past the rookie wall and we keep seeing this out of Carlson because that's that that's that could be really crucial for Green Bay down the stretch. Five kegs, Kashawn Nixon. I, the interception he had on Mahomes was unbelievable. I mean, the way he read that was absolutely fantastic. Um, just made a great play on the football. Um, and Kishon's had a probably an up and down year at best at corner. And but he made a big play when it mattered the most. And one of the things that Green Bay was not doing this year was turn the ball over. They just could not get those turnovers. And the last two weeks now, you've seen Green Bay get one key turnover at least. Detroit, they got many more. But even against Kansas City, who's not a turnover-prone team, they were able to get one in a major moment, which set up that field goal, and the Packers were able to make it an eight-point lead and prevent Mahomes from going down and tying the game, or actually taking the lead, which a lot of people, I think, thought that they that might happen. And lastly, a five-kegger to Matt LaFleur. We mentioned it uh, in the open, but, I mean, just the things Matty's doing right now are next level, and he's just really knows his team. And I, I think the fact that they are running his offense is kind of what we talked about back in September and when we were like, okay, he it's not going to be audibled out from Aaron Rodgers and Rodgers is not going, you know, has no influence here. So it's all Matt LaFleur. And I think for a while he was probably trying to do too much, right? He's worried about clock management. He's worried about personnel. And I think it led to some confusion. I think it led to some of the struggles. But now as Matt LaFleur has got settled in, as he also has quarterback that gets it and that understands what he needs to do, I think you're just seeing the where Matt LaFleur excels as a play caller. And he's doing a great job right now. And I think that'll only that will only continue. Um, and I think what's nice too for LaFleur and for Jordan Love for that matter, is you're gonna face more blitz heavy teams upcoming in the coming weeks. Like Martindale of the Giants blitzes all the time. Todd Bowles blitzes all the time. So now really you face three straight weeks of coaches just sending blitzes at you. And how are they going to defend what Jordan Love is able to do? So we'll, we'll have to see. Um, and also Matt LaFleur 16 and 0 now in December. It's Matt Temper. Uh, can it be, no, not Matt Temper, Matt Sember, Matt Sember. I don't know if I like that, but like Craig Tember is gone. So we, we, we don't have Craig Tember anymore. So now we have Matt Sember. Is that, is that what we're going to go with? I think that that works. Um, we'll see. We'll workshop that. We'll get IT on it. Uh, four kegs of Romeo Dobbs. I mean, made the great catch, but seven, four catches, 72 yards. Uh, Dobbs just is, is a reliable dude. Like he didn't have a touchdown tonight, but he just had a couple big catches in this game. He had a first down on a 16-yarder. He's he's becoming a little bit of a chunk, chunk play possession wide receiver. And just what the Packers can throw at you night in, night out with their five now wide receivers, Malik Heath too, it's just really hard to defend. And, you know, Don Travian Wicks is pushing for more playing time, but Dobbs still does enough to kind of keep himself in the mix. Kenny Clark... I thought it was wrecking shit inside. Uh, Kenny Clark's had a really good second half of this season. Uh, I, I think he's playing like an all-pro. I think that TJ Slayton has helped Kenny Clark sort of elevate. Same with Devontae Wyatt, or uh, Devontae Wyatt, excuse me, and Carl Brooks and Wooten. Uh, I think all those guys have sort of propelled Kenny Clark to have a better year because he finally has help. So you're finally seeing the true version of Kenny Clark. He was, he was good tonight, hit Mahomes twice. 
Uh, speaking of Mahomes, Packers secondary against Mahomes. I, you know, 210 yards for Patrick Mahomes. I mean, Travis Kelsey eight in the middle of the field. That wasn't great, but he kind of got shut down in the second half, right? He, I think he had all four catches in the first half. He, it was four catches for 81 yards, but you didn't really see much of Kelsey in the second half. He was also targeted only five times. Rasheed Rice had nine targets. Valdez Scantling had five. Pacheco had four. So like Travis Kelsey didn't get the bulk of it. And they were kind of riding Pacheco in the second half. And, and for good reason. I mean, Pacheco really ran hard. But the Packers secondary held up against Mahomes without Jair Alexander. And that's that's major, man. Like, got to give a lot of credit to Carrington Valentine and Corey Valentine. And, you know, Darno Savage back in the in the lineup, you know, didn't do much. But, again, they, they held their own. So you got to give them credit. And also that's a good adjustment on Kelsey in the second half. Uh, last four keg is A.J. Dillon. Uh, again, kind of similar to what we talked about in the secondary. Like, nothing exactly that flashy. But Dylan had 18 carries for 73 yards, averaged 4.1. Uh, he also caught one pass for 14 yards. Like, Dylan is great in December. I, I make the joke, Door County Dylan. It needs to be December Dylan, just double D. Like, December Dylan is a different kind of guy, man. And he just continues to prove that. And yeah, he was he was just thrashing dudes and was was putting his body into everybody. And to have that thunder and lightning when Aaron Jones comes back is going to be great. And I think you also could, with the way Dylan has been carrying the load, you don't have to rush Aaron Jones back, especially with that shaky turf at MetLife, man. I would not put Aaron Jones out there. Like that to me feels like let Dylan cook for one more game and then bring him back uh, for that Buccaneer game. And then you have the two-headed monster for the rest of the season. But yeah, AJ Dillon, Liz looked really good here in the last few weeks with Jordan Love. Like part, that's been part of that sort of progression, if you will, and he's running really hard. Three kegs to Chris Collins were a love affair with Patrick Mahomes. You'd probably be like, why isn't this a one keg, Charlie? Well, here's the thing. I, I, I kind of dig that he is just such a fan of Patrick Mahomes. And I know if you're a team, if you're like a Bills fan or you're a Bengals fan, it's probably fucking annoying. I'd probably be annoyed too. But because my team doesn't play the Chiefs that often, didn't really bother me that much. And I, I think it's cool that broadcasters like the guys they're covering, right? That they don't have to be so like uptight. Like think about John Madden, who everybody loves. It's revered, you know, the whole thing. John Madden loved fucking Brett Favre. One of the reasons why Packer fans love John Madden calling our games was because he would just speak in platitudes about Brett Favre. And Collinsworth's doing that with Mahomes. And I don't have any real problem with it. I actually kind of like it. Like, I, I kind of think that, like, if you're the best player in the world, you should, there should be sort of a rarefied air about you. And we should talk about you like that. And, and yes, like, Collinsworth was saying everything we were thinking, where it's like, I don't want to give Patrick Mahomes too much time. It's like, yeah, dude, like, I, I my as I said in the review, my heart was in my asshole every time Mahomes had the ball in the fourth quarter. Like I did a TikTok last week, uh, which you can find tapping the keg sports with it's a home alone kid. We're saying I'm not afraid anymore. And I'm like Mahomes through the first three quarters. And then fourth quarter, you see the old man and he screams and goes, ah, like, yeah, that's, that is exactly how I fucking felt about Patrick Mahomes the entire, the, you know, the entire fourth quarter, man. So I, I like it. I'm into it. I'm, I'm fine with it. Uh, 
three kegs to also to just i mean i could give this probably more kegs but like shout out to nbc for not leaning too hard in the taylor swift like we get it taylor swift boyfriend travis kelsey or yeah yeah and but they didn't show her too much uh i saw chicks in the office the bar stool uh they had a bunch of different taylor swift pictures and it, it was fun to see all the reactions one the concerned one was my favorite like oh wow Chiefs lose. This is the first time Taylor Swift has seen a loss in after the game. So I don't know what her and Travis are doing after this one, but trying to console your man after a loss is a lot different than than having fun after a win. So I, I have to think the sex hits a little different, if you will. Um, anyways, uh, two kegs. So I got asked an interesting question by my guy, Coach, about Jair Alexander. And I want to read it. And that's why I'm putting it at the two keg, because I, I think it's it's really interesting. He said, are the Packers playing better without Rasul and Jair? Yes, but why? And then he said, my thought is they're playing preferred coverages of the scheme, not the players. Two, would you trade Jair in the offseason? Okay. So they are playing. They, the corners have figured something out. The corners and safeties have figured something out without Jair and Rasul. Maybe to coach's point, they're not, you know, Valentine and Valentine are not freestyling as much. And so they're saying, okay, well, because they're not freestyling as much and Rasul and Jair might take chances and they might do their own thing, that's leading to some mistakes that happen that are kind of uncovered, that we don't exactly see, you know, watching the game from our naked eye. Um, I still think Jair is too talented not to want him out there. I just think that you have to tell Jair he has to be committed to the scheme. And if he doesn't want to be committed to the scheme, then there there needs to be a conversation. Unless you just say that, you know, I, and I don't know. And, that, and that's where I'm wondering, you know, he practiced all week with the shoulder and then he was inactive. So it's like, are they holding him out for a special reason? Is it because they're going to trade him in the off season? We talked about his contract one podcast ago. I can't remember when. But basically his money, they are, they have an out next year and, and another team could basically rent him for a year and then get out of the deal. I think with the talent you have at corner already with Valentine and Valentine looking okay. I, Mikey Stansell is a guy from Michigan I fucking love. Uh, he is short, undersized, but you can put him as a slot corner and he's going to be awesome for you. I, I just think he'll start day one. And you could potentially figure out a way to improve, like Cooper Jeans, another guy from uh, Iowa, who's probably going to be right around where the Packers pick, and which would be a Wally Waukesha wet dream. Uh, but yeah, like I, I think there are available corners where, yeah, maybe Jair is replaceable. And I think in general, like the attitude of this has to be everybody's on board. And if you're not, we don't want you. And I know Jair is, has spoken highly about Jordan Love, but like, is he is he locked in as well as we need him to be? I don't know. Um, we'll have to see. It kind of just feels like Jair plays when he wants to, and that that's the part that I I don't like. But again, I've had some bad takes about this team earlier this year. I'd be happy to be proven wrong. Uh, other two kegs, Joe Barry. Uh, speaking of scheme, Joe Barry. Like, okay, so they gave up. They only got 19 points. That they being the Chiefs. But Joe Barry had some really, really bad moments with Travis Kelsey early on. The third and 18 was absolutely pathetic. Uh, you know, the Chiefs, 
They had the Chiefs right where they wanted them. They rushed three. The one guy you got to make sure doesn't get the ball is Travis Kelsey. And guess what? Travis Kelsey gets the ball. Told my wife, watch it. I was like, watch. It's going to get the ball. And sure enough, Travis Kelsey got the fucking football. So, I, uh, yeah. Joe Barry, it's just like he does just enough to get by. It's crazy. It's crazy how he just does the bare minimum and they figure it out. And they, you know, it looks good on paper. And yes, there are some numbers that would support it looks good on paper. But I'm telling you, there, there are just some bad moments from Barry. And I just, I don't know if he's going to be around next season. Especially if Robert Sala or even Matt Eberflus. I had this thought the other day. Matt Eberflus gets fired by the Bears. I wouldn't mind him as defensive coordinator. I, he's a good DC. Like, he is a very good DC. Like, I don't know. I would not have a problem with that at all. I, I don't think I, I would have any issue. I think it'd be kind of weird. But whatever. They you know the... Cubs took one of our coaches. Why can't we take the Bears if he gets fired, that is? Um, so, yeah, I, I don't know. I think there might be just too much talent not to kind of explore, not to kind of poke your head out and say, okay, what could we get at court at the coordinator position? Uh, also, two kegs to Rasheed Walker. Uh, I just I thought it was a tough game for Walker. Um, I, he had the hold. He had, you know, he used a lot of pressure on the left side. He's been playing better. Uh, but this was a little bit of a step back for him. I still think left tackle in terms of drafting needs to be somewhat of a priority for Green Bay. Maybe not the top priority, but a somewhat one. I mean, it seems like based on the cap numbers and everything like that, they kind of have to play David Bakhtiari. Although it was nice that David could join his former teammates in New York. It's like, tell me you want to be a Jet more than this, man. Um, but anyways, uh, yeah. So Rasheed Walker, two keg. Two keg to Jaden Reed. Jaden Reed's been awesome, but this was a rough game for Jaden. I know he was hurt, so he didn't really practice a lot this week. I don't know if that affected it. He had a brutal false start. That was part of the reason why the Packers can get points in the first half. He had another one where it was it looked like an overthrow by Jordan Love, but if Reed would have kept running, it would have actually hit him in stride and he would have scored a touchdown. And so, like, yeah, there were just a little things. And as sort of mentioned by people, like when you have rookies – they're just, they're going to have their ups and downs, even now. Like, even now, even though you could say, well, they're not rookies anymore, they're still rookies. And they're still going to have these young moments that just aren't what you want. One keg, the end of the game officiating. Oh my God. What a fucking circus that was. I looked at the officiating uh, because I'm a sicko. And, I was, and Brad Allen used to be a bad official. And recently he's been, he's not necessarily the ones on the shit list. It's like, John Hussey, it's Alex Kemp, Brendan Rodgers, like those guys all suck. And again, I shouldn't be able to name all these, but I am. And I'd be much better suited knowing things like, you know, different conflicts going on in the world or stocks. But no, I know football officials. I know I know Big East officials too. We talk about it later in the show. Um, but anyways, uh, Brad Allen, like it was good for most of this game. And then the last minute went off the rails. I mean... There were so many different things that went wrong. You had the unnecessary roughness hit on Mahomes, where it was clearly not an unnecessary roughness. Jonathan Owens laid the fucking lumber on him. Then you had the you had the play with the fumble. I was probably not a fumble. I, I'll give you that one. But then you also have, you know, MVS is getting dragged inbounds. He doesn't actually go out of bounds, yet the line judge runs doesn't run the clock, stops the clock, basically allows for an additional five minutes, five seconds for the Chiefs, if not more. Uh, the non-pass interference call, that definitely was pass interference. 
there was a complete makeup call for the unnecessary roughness. And yeah, it's going to sting for Chiefs fans. And you can say, well, the refs won you the game. I actually hope that's the narrative tomorrow. I hope that when Get Up and Unsportsmanlike and what's the other one? Oh, first day. Uh, and undisputed, they're all like, oh, the refs, the refs. I hope it's like that because that would be how do you avoid the hangover for next week is if everyone's telling you you didn't deserve to win this game. That would be the way you do it, honestly. So we'll see. Um, but anyways, yeah, it was just a disaster. And I it, it ruined kind of the moment of this. Like this game was awesome. This was an awesome football game. And yeah, it was awesome because Packers played really well. But like this game should not be overtaken by officiating. Uh, also one keg to the details for the Packers, like the offsides thing on the kickoff, giving the extra free yards, Pastor Taylor not running out of bounds, uh, the false start then that we just mentioned, like they, they still sometimes lack those details and not like the colossal fuck ups that we were seeing earlier in the year, but it's, it's still, still not as good as it needs to be sometimes. So it's on to New York. God, I'm I'm worried about the hangover. That there's it's just screaming that you I mean maybe the prime time helps. Um, but we'll see. Um it's and the Giants coming off a bye too, so they, they've had plenty of time to prepare for the Packers. So we'll have to see. We'll obviously talk much more about it during this week. But yeah, what a fucking two weeks for the Green Bay Packers. This has been a lot of fun. All right. I taped the other part of the podcast earlier today which i'm going to kick to right now and we'll be talking market basketball we'll be also talking about the milwaukee bucks and a little bit of the milwaukee brewers so we'll kick it to that and enjoy all right saturday did not work out well for the marquette golden eagles the wisconsin badgers pretty much wiped the floor with the golden eagles i that hurts to say but it's the truth uh wisconsin came out and were the aggressor really for the entire game. Uh, there was a stretch there where Marquette played well in the start of the second half, looked like kind of one of those Patton and Marquette second half comebacks, and then Wisconsin slammed the door on it. And it is a rivalry. Losing to your rival three straight times sucks. The first time that that has happened since the 1998-2000 to 2000 period of the Marquette-Wisconsin rivalry. And we talked about how rare it was that a team would lose three straight times in this rivalry. It doesn't happen very often. And while that's frustrating, the bigger problem is Marquette has an issue against teams who squeeze the paint. We saw it against UCLA. I thought that maybe because you played UCLA, Marquette would be able to adjust that and adjust and figure that out. But they didn't. They didn't really learn their lesson from UCLA. They, it was the same shit that we saw in that game where they barely survived that game, right? They were able to win it by two, but there's a hundred different ways that could have gone in a different direction. If UCLA had a little more experience, I think they come out ahead of that game. If they have a guy like a Chucky Hadburn, like a Max Klesman, I know he didn't score in the second half, but like the point being is like they, Wisconsin had the experience to basically you know counteract anything that Marquette was doing. And so it's really frustrating that there is a certain style that beats Marquette. Now, can every team do it? Probably not. But this book is now out on Marquette. This is now twice that they have lost this way. So if that book is out and teams know this is how we can beat Marquette, they're going to keep trying to do this. They're going to say, all right, we are going to try to basically emulate what we saw out of Wisconsin, what we saw out of UCLA, 
And we think that that is our pathway to victory. So Marquette has to adjust. And they've been a great team when it comes to adjusting on the fly. And this might be their biggest challenge because I don't necessarily know if they have the bodies, if they have the, not not the talent, but like, do they have what it takes to kind of reverse what's been going on here? And that's, that's kind of a fundamental worry because it has to then break perfectly for Marquette in terms of matchups for March. And that's that's the bigger issue here. Like losing to your rival sucks, but if you can't beat a certain style of team, that's going to fuck you come March. You need to beat every different kind of team. You can't just play a bunch of teams who play a similar run and gun style. You can't play a bunch of teams that are undersized. Like you're not going to catch those breaks. Part of the reason why FAU was kind of able to get through was because they got they didn't have to play Purdue. They would have got killed by Purdue, by the way. Like, I don't mean to shit on FAU, but they, they would have got beat by Purdue. They grinded out a game against Tennessee, who would have been a bad matchup for Marquette. And I'm using FAU because they were undersized. They, they play a little bit similar to what we see out of Marquette. And then Kansas State was a perfect matchup. They played a lot similar. Marquette would have beat Kansas State. That was the f- most frustrating thing about the tournament last year was Kansas State was actually a really good matchup for Marquette. And they all they had to do was get past Michigan State. And they should have probably been in the Final Four, but they weren't. And they were, you know, where they ended up. And they lost in the second round because a team like Michigan State, who packed the paint, similar to what we saw with Wisconsin, what we saw with UCLA, beat that team that day. And that's something that Marquette is going to have to fix and have to figure out all right, what type of adjustments do we make? Do we get Oso Iguodara out of the paint so the guys that are on Oso Iguodara get out of the paint? I think what they should have done, I understand that NBA in college is a lot different, right? But you, we saw a lot in the NBA as Bucks fans, Brooke Lopez get put in the bad matchups and you put, put basically Brooke in the switch. Stephen Crowell should have been the switch all game long. Like that should have been the plan from the get-go is get Crowell out of the paint Put him into bad matchups, whether it's against Joplin, whether it's against Kolick, whether it's against uh, even Aguidar off the dribble. Like, I don't think Crowell could have kept up. Now, he played really well. Like, he had a very good game and was imposing as all a get-out. But they needed to get Crowell out of the paint. That was That should have been the goal. And because they didn't, that became a fundamental issue. This was the first game where you really felt the the missing of Omax Prosper. Cause I think Omax would have kind of helped with some of that. And I think he would also help with the defense on Klezman. Um, and, and then that would, those would have been big things for this Golden Eagle, Golden Eagle team. But they, they gotta figure out ways to kind of get these guys out of the paint. And one of them is just bringing your big guys out and running screens and making sure that these big men don't just stay in the paint, that don't just stay in sort of this drop defense, that they have to pull themselves out of the paint area. Because if Marquette can't figure that out, more and more teams that have big men are going to do the exact same thing to them, game in, game out. Another way to do this would be to push transition and let these defenses not get set in. If you just push, 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 and I know Marquette's fast offensively, but I don't think they were doing enough from a transition perspective. They weren't getting the ball out there and just running up and down the court. 
I don't know how Wisconsin does it. Maybe it's just the way they play. Virginia plays a similar style, right? Where they take, they bring you into the mud. Wisconsin brought Marquette into the mud from the get-go, really. And Marquette could never really get their style, never could really figure out what they needed to do against this Wisconsin team. And so they need to be pushing the ball more. They need to be getting going in transition and not necessarily just standing around. They were way too fucking stagnant. And and that was what we saw against UCLA. And so it's almost like, and I don't know if it's a coaching thing. I don't know if it's a player thing. They were like, okay, we don't believe what UCLA did is sustainable. We're gonna do something similar. And again, it it backfired. It didn't work. And, And it was painfully obvious. Like, look at the fact that Marquette was 16 to 26 from inside the arc and they were 7 of 29 from three they took 29 three-pointers in this game and took three more threes than overall twos i I, look i like the three-point basket but it clearly was not falling for marquette at all they needed to know it wasn't their night from deep besides cam jones and ben gold really other than that nobody else was hitting shots kolik and joplin were a combined two for 14 from the three-point line they needed to attack and needed to draw more fouls and it just it was a really frustrating offensive sort of game plan against wisconsin you thought it would have been better and that is worrisome because if it is basically they try to do the same thing and and, and we're like okay this is all we got and we we're kind of out of answers for this type of defense that's a major red flag for this team that is truly concerning so I won't panic just yet, right? It's December. You have a lot of time to figure this out, but you have to figure this out. You cannot keep trying the same thing because you're going to lose to a team like this. And if you run into like, let's say a Liberty in the second round who plays in a very slow, methodical style, like whatever, they're a 10 seed or something like that. And you're a two or you're a one and they're a nine. I don't think Liberty would get a high, but who knows, right? You're, you're probably, you might lose that team. You might, that team might put you on upset alert. So you have to figure out how to play against these kind of teams. Because if you don't, it's going to be the same old shit in, in March. Let's hope that that's not the case. All right, let's move on to the grades of the game. As you know, we do grades after every Marquette game, basically going from A to F. Uh, for the team themselves and kind of get into more of the players from the game, moments from the game, everything else. A to Stevie Mitchell, I loved Stevie Mitchell's energy, especially in the second half. The adjustment to put him on Chucky Hepburn was a really good one. He was in Chucky Hepburn's shirt in the second half. He provided a ton of juice for that Marquette team, kind of leading that comeback. Mitchell had a lot to do with it. He eight points in total in this game and really played well. I thought there should have been more Stevie Mitchell minutes. He played 24 minutes. I think it should have been closer to 30. I would have liked to see Mitchell's minutes increase and Joplin's decrease personally um, because that the way Stevie Mitchell played was exactly what you wanted. It seemed like in some ways he was the only one that was giving a shit out there. And I really liked what I saw from Stevie Mitchell um, and thought that he sort of played at another level than his Marquette teammates. Cam Jones was great again, uh, A for him, 19 points for Cam. Uh, He was seven of 12 from the field. He made a couple free throws. 
Uh, you know, he was the catalyst offensively. He, he was the only guy where the shots were going down. He likes this matchup against Marquette. He had, or uh, Wisconsin, excuse me. I think he had 26 last year. I uh, had 19 this year. He continues to excel, you know, uh, this season. Uh, it's been a great year for Cam Jones. Uh, I think he's probably pl- played the best overall. I, I would have said Oso and him, but Oso really struggled in this game. We'll talk about Oso a little bit here. Um, Cam was, Cam's been fantastic. I mean, he's been the catalyst of this team. I, I honestly think that Cam needs to be touching the ball a little bit more. I think there are too many empty possessions where Cam Jones doesn't get a touch. Uh, he shouldn't only have had 12 shots. When you look at, you know, what Kolek had, Kolek had 11, uh, Joplin had 13, which is outrageous. Uh, trust me, we got, we have a lot of Joplin discussion here later, but like Cam Jones needs to have more shots, especially when they're going in. Like he, he was making the buckets and it it needs to be a little more of the Cam Jones show. I, w- I wouldn't mind Cam Jones getting selfish when he has it going. I think my problem and Jones and Joplin both have this is they try to get themselves hot by making baskets and not trying to do other things on the court. And that isn't always great. And that sometimes hurts your team. And so, but when you're hot, you should be wanting to do that. You should be wanting to touch the ball all the time. So I wish Cam Jones would have had more shots in this game. I think that might've propelled Marquette, but still a solid game from Cam Jones. Uh, the Klesman adjustments in the second half get a B for me. Uh, obviously Klesman getting 21 uh, was a little Mickey Mouse. Let's be honest. Like he had five threes. Like that's absurd, but he then didn't score in the second half. So Marquette was able to cut him off in the second half, which credit to them. Like they, they, they made a good adjustment on Klesman and made sure that Klesman wasn't going to beat them in the second half. And they, they achieved that, except, you know, guys like AJ Store, uh, Crowell and others kind of got going. And so they were able to pick up the slack, but that was a solid adjustment. They made a really strong adjustment on Klesman and that was, you know, part of the way Marquette was able to come back in this game. You know, even though they lost wire to wire, they were, it was 52 to 51 at one point. And they they were getting close to kind of turning this thing over. And it just never, they just never got that additional bucket. And that's what, you know, led to obviously Marquette losing this, this basketball game. And, you know, there were more things than that. But I did like what I saw defensively against Klesman in the second half. Uh, I also give a B to the worst bar. Uh, you're like, whoa, the worst bar? No, it's like Bratwurst. Uh, it's on Brady Street. Uh, they are Marquette bar. Uh, I think so for my Marquette friends and who are listening who are Milwaukee residents or uh, suburban Milwaukee residents, uh, if you need a, sp- a place uh, to watch a Marquette game and you're not going to a game, uh, worst bar is your spot, man. They had the game on with sound. They had it on all their TVs. It was pretty low key. Uh, in terms of like the audience, like it was a bunch of people yelling and screaming. I was probably the most obnoxious one there. Uh, their bar, one of their bartenders told me that they're going to be running shuttles too for Marquette games. So if you are living in that area, uh, probably a great place to save yourself an Uber, right? And you can just take the shuttle down instead. So good, good little thing that they have going. Uh, so keep that in mind uh, for your next. That's not a paid advertisement. Just. Just thought I'd throw it out there. Their breakfast food looked phenomenal. We had had Glorioso sandwiches, uh, which were also great. Uh, Gloriosos, if, so a little pro tip on Gloriosos, not to sidetrack too much, but uh, Gloriosos does a breakfast sandwich. It's on a seated roll. You can get whatever kind of cheese you want an egg and you can add ham for a dollar. We can also add sausage and it's not breakfast sausage. It's a full fucking Italian sausage with your egg. It's great. Uh, I loved it. Uh, would recommend it anytime that anytime you're down in that area for breakfast. 
Uh, C to Tyler Kolick. Man, it's been a rough year for Tyler Kolick so far. I, like, hasn't it? Like, other than that Illinois game, he played well in the Purdue game. It has not been an awesome year for Tyler Kolick. And I don't know if that is just teams are adjusting to him. There's a little bit of a target on his back. But this has not necessarily been as good of a year so far for Kolick. I know, like, if you look at the, like, Kempom numbers, it's pretty similar in terms of his offensive rating, 118 versus 116. So it's not that much different. His possession, his possession, or percentage of possession is a little bit of down. His assist rate is way down, actually. So it's from 39 last year now to 30.8. So that's a little bit of an issue. He also his free throw rate is, is way down. He's not necessarily getting to the line enough. He's Shooting a little bit, I, the three pointers. He's shooting more three pointers than he than he has as well. Um, yeah, there's there are just some uh, different little things with Kolik that are I want to say red flags, but it's just clear that he's not necessarily had the start that maybe you want. So I wonder if that ankle is bothering him a little bit, like and and they're just kind of not talking and he's playing through it. But yeah, eleven points in this game for Kolik. Uh, he was one of five from from three overall, four of eleven from the field, um, six assists. You know, not not exactly what you need in one of these games. You needed Tyler Kolick to have more of a presence in this one, and he certainly did. Wisconsin, you know, locked him down again, and we expected sort of a revenge after a really bad performance last year, and it was it's kind of more of the same. And so hopefully. You know, Kolek can kind of right the ship. I, you know, he obviously has another non-con against Texas this coming week and Notre Dame to maybe kind of get himself ready and rolling for the Big East season, which starts in a couple weeks here. But yeah, we, we definitely need a little bit more from Tyler Kolek. Uh, D to the mark, just the lack of juice. There was no juice for Marquette early in this game. Like they just seemed like they were kind of going through the motions and it's fucking bizarre because it's a rivalry game. It's like, how do you, how do you do that? Like, are you taking Wisconsin not seriously? Is it that you just, you know, kind of don't want to be, I'm not saying we won't be here, but like it just, they, they didn't exactly want to fight. Like they didn't have sort of that aggressive in your shirt defense right from the get-go. And maybe it was partly the officiating, maybe it was the start time, maybe it was the crowd, maybe just the gym itself, I don't know. But they just did not seem ready to play this basketball game. And it's so weird because they played Southern, they handled their business, they avoided the Maui hangover, and then they somehow don't necessarily come to play against the Badgers. That's that's weird to me. Um, I, I don't think it's anything to like worry about or watch, but It'll be curious to see what we get out of Marquette the next time they're on the road against Providence. They play Providence, I think on the 18th. I think that's their next road game. Uh, and so it'll be interesting to see if, you know, that they kind of bring the energy in that game where that's another situation where you're at that gym last year, you lost. Granted, there's some guys who are the same like Hopkins. A lot has changed. You know, they have some talented freshmen. They have Kim English, the new coach. But uh, you should want, you should kind of want that game. It's also the Big East opener. Like that game should have a lot of importance to you. It'll be interesting to see kind of if Mark, if this sort of juice thing was just sort of a weird thing and it, maybe it was the style of play, who knows, right? Uh, I, it could be a hundred different things. Thinking about fine, right? Finals are coming up. Maybe it's something, it's a little bit of that, not exactly entirely focused, but, and I'm not trying to make excuses. I just, you notice the lack of juice and it's just uncharacteristic of Marquette. So now you ask questions like, why exactly did it happen? 
Also a D to the Marquette bench. Uh, for as good as the Marquette bench has been this season, they really weren't. Um, granted, Shaka didn't play them a ton. Sean Jones got 17 minutes. That was kind of the one that got the majority of the minutes. Chase Ross was in foul trouble, so he didn't exactly see the court much. He only played 10 minutes, and then Ben Gould was six, and he had a couple big threes early on, but really struggled inside against Stephen Crawl. Stephen Crawl ate his lunch, and yeah, I, I don't necessarily know how much you're gonna need the bench at all times, but you know, that UCLA game that we've talked about and referred back to is they were instrumental in sort of bringing Marquette back. And they had no real impact in this game, especially in the second half. Like, Gold hit his shots early. Chase Ross had one one bucket, you know, in, in the second half and a couple steals. But, like, that was it. And I just need more from that, I, that second unit. And maybe it's a rotational thing. Maybe... You know, they need to play a little bit of Sean Jones at point and Kolick in the off guard. I think Bill Raftery mentioned that, and, and which I think would be a very fascinating sort of setup, right? Letting Sean Jones run point Kolick, you know, as your off guard. It would be a very small lineup, right? But might be something worth testing out. And maybe to counter that, you put Ben Gold in there as well. So then you have two big guys and then you have two point guards and maybe that makes it easier. You can run a lot of pick and rolls just all day with Jones and Kolick and see kind of how that how that all works. I don't know. It, it might be worth trying out, but I think you need a little bit more from the bench. You don't need this bench to be stellar, but you need it to be a little bit better than what it was on Saturday. Uh, another D to the officiating crew. I'm not going to complain about the refs. Uh, I, that's loser behavior to say that we lost because of the refs. We lost for the, a lot of the reasons we've laid out here already, and we will with our F segment. But they were bad. I mean, Jeff Anderson is never one a ref you want to see ref your game. Uh, he's routinely terrible, and he was again today. I had no idea why these guys ref this game when you're playing. You're at, they were at Purdue Northwestern the night before. That game went to 11, 11:30. You then had to drive to Madison, which is probably an hour, hour and a half drive from Evanston, maybe more, maybe less. You're home at you're in the hotel at 1:30. Two o'clock, whenever you get settled in, you're probably only sleeping six hours, and then you're kind of run ragged by the end of it. Like, I understand if they're refing this game and it's like six o'clock or seven o'clock at night, like that, and you get to fully rest and kind of kind of get a workout in, recuperate the whole thing. But when you have to just basically do a back-to-back, like an NBA player, I, I just don't know how that that doesn't cloud your judgment a little bit. And the foul discrepancy was something. I mean, Marquette shot less than, or 14 free throws while Wisconsin shot 28. Um, and, and that just seems uneven to me. And I understand your home team, you're going to get some more calls, but I just felt like Marquette was not getting necessarily the touch call, um, touch calls that we thought we saw Wisconsin get. And so I, I, I hope that, you know, they are able to, you know, obviously when you have bad officiating, you, college basketball officiating is very uneven. Um, and, but when you're on the road, you sometimes you got to overcome it. And Marquette didn't necessarily do a good job of that in this game. I felt like they, you know, it, it was sort of, it, it was a hurdle for them and they, they struggled with it. And so they didn't exactly adjust to how the officials were calling this game. F to David Joplin. Look, uh, I like David Joplin. Uh, I'm on the Joplin wagon. Uh, he had a great season last year, but David Joplin was a liability in this game. David Joplin should not have played, was it 30, played 34 minutes in this game. That's fucking ridiculous. 
David Joplin didn't have it from the goddamn get-go. And I know, yeah, they're just kids, Charlie, whatever, but like let's let's be a little tough here. You're you're top five team in the nation. There's expectations that come with that. You shot Joplin himself shooting the ball 13 times and only making three of them is just pathetic. I mean, it, it really is. He had an offensive rating of 73. He did more to hinder his team than help his team. He also was poor defensively. He did not do much in, on the defensive side of the ball. And David Joplin's got to figure out, okay, when I don't have it, what can I do to kind of get easy buckets? What can I, you know, can I put myself in the dunker spot? Can I get myself a corner three to get myself going? He can't be forcing shots. There were way too many possessions where David Joplin threw one up because he was trying to get himself going or like, and this idea of, oh, it's David Joplin time. David Joplin needs to play within the offense more. And if David Joplin can't play within the offense, then you need to put somebody else in in that starting lineup. And like I said earlier, the fact that he played 34 minutes and Stevie played 24 is absurd with the way both those guys played played on Saturday. I would add Stevie closer to 30 and Joplin closer to like 25 or something like that because he didn't necessarily deserve to be out there. I realize Ross had foul trouble. I realize, you know, maybe Sean Jones would be a mismatch size-wise, but like, look, you just got you got to try some different shit at that point. When if, if a guy doesn't have it, you got to try to to pivot and try something else. See what Trey Norman's got. He only played 3 minutes in this game, but still like see what the freshman has. See what Chase like let Chase Ross get foul calls on him, right? Like let Chase Ross just pick up five fouls and say, fuck, not, not worry about it, right? So I don't know, man. I just really did not like what I saw from Joplin. And I hope that, you know, this gets better for him because he hasn't exactly thrived in the starter role. It has not necessarily been kind to Joplin. Look at the last, besides the UCLA game where he was a catalyst and he was a huge part of them beating UCLA. And you could probably point to what was the difference between that UCLA and Wisconsin game, Charlie? And the answer is David Joplin because he made five threes in that game and Marquette needed all five of those threes. But since that game, he had two against Kansas. He was, what is it? One of, he was one of five in that game. Purdue, he only shot the ball two times. He had six points or three points total. 10 against Southern, not exactly a great game against Southern, although his offensive rating was bad, but he only played 60 minutes. And then the game against Wisconsin that we just referred to. Like he, he didn't necessarily have, he had some of these moments throughout last year and really kind of came on strong, but you need a little more consistency. You're not a bench guy anymore, David Joplin. You need to be a little more consistent with what you're doing. Uh, another F to Osoy Gadara. I mean, after all the hype, after a guy who moved up to being a top 20 pick in the NBA draft, Oso was extremely small in this lineup. Uh, he only had five points. He shot the ball only five times. Uh, you know, he only got five rebounds. Um, you know, it, it just, he needed more. Four turnovers too in this game. Like, Iodara needed to be better. He needed to be more of a, a focus in this game. And I, I just wish they would have done more with like point forward stuff with Iodara and brought Crawl out of the paint. And I, I just think that it was a poor execution game from a coaching perspective. And then I think Iodara didn't, adjust with what was going on in the game uh, and let himself sort of be quiet. And we see this sometimes with college guys, right? Where they just kind of assume their role. They're like, oh, it's not my night. And they just kind of disappear. Um, we can't have also Yadara disappearing. He needs to find a way to be a focal point of the team, kind of no matter what. And even if it's not going in early, 
get him going. Pick and rolls, different stuff. Like find ways to get Oso Yadara the ball. And they didn't do that enough. And also also didn't demand the ball. And that that's on him too. Like this isn't a one-way street here. This is there's definitely blame to be put on both sides there. Last F that I have is the 60-55 sequence. This to me, it was the game. Like if you, and I kind of knew it watching it in the moment. I didn't say anything on like X or anything. Like say, oh yeah, that was the game. But Paint Touches uh, screenshotted it earlier today, I believe it was. So here's what happened. So Carter Gilmore gets a defensive rebound and they're down 60 to 55, Marquette that is. Carter Gilmore then misses a three. Tyler Wall, offensive rebound. Wall misses a layup. Wisconsin gets another offensive rebound. There's a TV timeout. Out of the TV timeout, Klesman misses a three. Crowell gets uh, an offensive rebound. AJ Storr misses a layup. Crowell gets another rebound, and Crowell gets a layup to go up seven points. And that 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 took off a minute of the game. So Wisconsin Marquette wasted a ton of potential possessions. They let Wisconsin just bully them inside and gave up four offensive rebounds in one possession. That is pretty ugly. Um, and that is gross. So it's it just like, man, I, you can't have that. And I don't know, maybe we talked about Al Amadou last, I think it was on Tuesday's show, where, or Wednesday, where we're like, you know, this guy could have maybe had a moment against Purdue. And that just put him in there. If he gets five fouls, so what? It's it's fine. It's it, it'll it'll be good for, or just to get some size out there, get collect some fouls. And I just wonder, maybe he's ready by February, and he takes some of Ben Gold's minutes, and all of a sudden they have a solid rebounder, and it's like, wow, if Al Amadou was ready in December, we might have lost to Purdue or or Wisconsin, maybe. But that that's asking a lot of a freshman. And Marquette just needs to be better on the glass. And I understand they're undersized, I get it. But they've figured it out against UConn twice. They've figured it out against other big teams. Like this is not the first big team that they've faced. They need to address it sooner rather than later. And they can't continue to get killed on the offensive glass because that that is just not a sustainable way to play basketball. And you're gonna lose more unexpected games because of it. Like. I know we'll probably talk a little more about the Texas matchup heading into it, but if you just look at like what Texas is, they're another team that's pretty solid at the offensive rebounding game. That's that is something that Texas is is pretty good at. And so that's that's not great. Like that's not exactly what you're looking for. So you're gonna be tested again on on Wednesday. Uh and yeah, so we, we gotta be better uh in terms of the offensive rebound and yeah, that's 60-55 sequence was just terrible. But it's it's on to the next and it's on to Texas and hopefully that works out a lot better. Wrapping up today's show with the Milwaukee Bucks, I do wanna talk a little bit, uh, maybe quick hitters about the Brewers before we officially uh, sign off for this Monday. But the Milwaukee Bucks got it done against the Atlanta Hawks. They win 132 to 121. The Bucks are now 14 and six and 9-1 at home. Uh, and that is one of my five things to know about this Milwaukee Bucks win. And yes, if you're wondering, hey, Charlie, is this a new segment? Yeah, I finally figured out how, I'm gonna, how, how we're going to recap games when there isn't a macro thing to talk about. Just things to know because 
I get it. It's Saturday night. You might have had a holiday party. You might not have been able to watch, which actually was me. I was able. I re, I watched it today, um, and it was it was an impressive win for the Bucks, and it was a lot similar to the games we've seen all year, where the Bucks you know choke a team out in the clutch, and that's what they've done really all season. And they did it again tonight against Atlanta, or on Saturday night against the Hawks. And that's where number one, clutch time. They did it again. 18-7 run to end this game with big plays really from everybody. Dame, Giannis Antetokounmpo, Malik Beasley. Like, they were just excellent in that moment. And their defense changes a little bit. They're, They're doing some things on both sides of the ball that really make the winning time bucks a real thing. They just know what to do in those clutch moments. And it goes back to the sort of the conversation about Dame versus Drew Holiday, right? And do the Bucks win those type of games? And they would win some of them, but they wouldn't win all of them. And they'd have some bad clutch time moments. We, you know, we referred to the Philly game last week. Uh, Golden State game comes to mind last year too, where they kind of blew that one. Like they've had some blunders and they really haven't had many late game blunders besides that Chicago game on Thursday. And they were able to put the clamps on Atlanta and pull away from them really where it wasn't close at the end. Like you could say, oh yeah, the Bucks kind of goofed around, whatever. And this was a back and forth game. To me, like this is a better win than some of the other ones because you're able to sort of put away a team at the very end. This wasn't down to the wire. This wasn't, they were keep hitting shots and not dying. Bucks choked them out. And that to me is kind of normal NBA. Like, right? Like, isn't that kind of what the NBA is? I know it's it's cliche and it's a little disrespectful to the league itself, but a lot of times, more than not, it's back and forth for three quarters, three and a half quarters, and then one team, typically the better team, pulls away and wins the game. And that's exactly what happened with the Bucks tonight. And the 18 to seven run, it was terrific. And I agree with what the Bucks are saying that yeah, we need to do this more throughout the game. I, I think as long as the Bucks can do it in the first quarter and the fourth quarter, as weird as that sounds, and then just play solid average basketball through that second and third quarter, you're probably gonna win a lot of games by anywhere from seven to 10, seven to 11. And so I think it's, again, I thought it was impressive. I thought the way they closed, was strong again. You can't discount what the Bucks are doing in the clutch. You just cannot. Like, I, I, if you want to be critical of their defense, fine. If you want to be critical of the rotations, okay. But the fact that they continue to win in the clutch matters. And it, it's really important for the season. That is sustainable. That's not something that's like, oh, the Bucks aren't going to be able to do this throughout the year. Are, I mean, the NBA is different than football, right? You know, the Eagles who just lost today, like, it's like, oh, yeah, the Eagles can't keep doing this. It's like, yeah, that, that's kind of because that's how football is. Basketball, like, yeah, you more times than not, you're able to you're able to do it pretty regularly. So I don't know. I, I think the Bucks clutchness is going to be a real thing. And at some point, the national media will r- wake up to this. Speaking of the national media waking up, Giannis Antetokounmpo continues to look like an MVP and nobody cares. Like the Bucks are 14 and six. He has his first triple double of the year, 30 points, 11 rebounds, 10 assists. His last assist was a dagger three from Beasley in the corner, which by the way, unrelated, well, related kind of with the Beasley three because he did the shimmy at the end. I fucking love Malik Beasley's energy. 
I think he at times is a little bit of a frustrating player, but I, I do like the energy that he brings. I love the fact that he's always acting like somebody peed in his Cheerios. I like the fact that he's gyrating and, you know, kind of shit talking opposing crowds when he hits threes in front of them. Like, I like that a lot. I think that brings a nice energy. But anyways, back down to the Kumba. Like, I mean, what more do teams need? Like, Atlanta in the past has been sometimes a bad matchup with Okanwu and Capella, and they and Giannis had no problems tonight. And again, it's just another big Giannis game. And you look at just his stats that he's putting out night in, night out. It's like everybody wants to discount him because they think the Bucks are quote unquote bad because the Bucks aren't winning games by twenty points and looking like the seven, 2017 Golden State Warriors. And it's it's so weird that no one's respecting what Giannis has done this season. And I, I do wonder if he has two off, if he if the Bucks win the in season tournament or they get to the finals and Giannis is great throughout it, will that sort of change the momentum? Because all eyes are will be on the Bucks at least for Tuesday, if not for Thursday and Saturday. So that I, that's where I wonder will will we start seeing you know maybe some momentum get around Giannis Antetokounmpo and people start paying attention to the season that he's having like MVP races aren't won or lost in December and it's it's weird to complain about the MVP but I think my frustration is just the fact that no one's acknowledging the season that Antetokounmpo is having so far this year and it's been truly special. Third thing, uh, the Bucks bench finally wakes up. That was much needed. Uh, you guys heard me on Friday. I was really critical of the Bucks bench and said I, I thought it's going to be really hard for them to win games without having you know Jay Crowder, Pat Content. You didn't have Andre Jackson Jr. for this game, so you were very limited in what your bench had available to you. But Bobby Porter stepped up. They got him going early. Adrian Griffin talked about that that we needed to get Bobby going early get him started similar to kind of like Joplin where if he doesn't have it early it's usually not going to happen for the game I really like that the Bucks were able to establish that with Bobby and for the last couple games he's looked like a liability he was not in this game 15 points overall 11 assists a campaign at 18 points which was a season high for him, I hit a huge three uh, right at the start of clutch time. I think I tweeted out. I was like, I don't really want to see campaign out there with four minutes left to go in the game. But if he's hitting shot, hitting clutch shots, I'm, I'm okay with it. I, I can live with that. Uh, he made two threes. So he, he was doing it more inside the paint, which is, again, another, another solid sort of thing to know with campaign. And that hasn't necessarily been his bag this year. He's been just a straight three-point shooter. So being able to kind of filter the lane and take advantage of Trey Young, who is not a good defender at all, um, is, is a big deal. And the Bucks getting 33 or 36 bench points because Marjan got a three as well. Uh, that's that's big stuff. That's big stuff for the Bucks. They that'll win you a lot of basketball games. That takes the pressure off onto the Kumbo, Dame, Brooke Lopez, Chris Miller, like I, all the starters. And if you can get that pretty regularly off the bench, you're going to be successful. Now. Do I expect you know two guys you know scoring 15 points or more? No, but as long as you're in double digits, as long as you're not sort of taking more shots than you should, Bobby seven of 13. That that is a him and campaign having a combined 24 shots there. Not to argue with myself. I mean they made 50 percent of them, but man, that's that is a lot. <laughs> that's not it's not like that's it's just a lot for a bench unit but those both those guys kind of have a green light whenever they they get the ball but yeah getting more from the bench is solid 
Uh, number four, you know, just need a little more juice out of halftime, right? It's 67-63. You're up four heading into the break. And then you just get worked in that, that third quarter. The Atlanta was great in the third. You saw this with Chicago as well. Uh, the Bucs ended up trailing that that end of that quarter. They came back and they were up 99-98 heading into the fourth quarter. But uh, Hawks at one point, I think, had like a five or six point lead in that third quarter. Like the Bucs just came out flat. And, and that's the type of stuff that we just are seeing way too often out of this team. Is like, why can't they just keep their energy throughout the whole game? Now is that... Again, the, the critics of Griffin is that his defense, his defense is wearing these guys out, that they kind of need to take like a 10-minute breather. And if that's the case, Griffin's got to figure out, again, when to kind of deploy that defense. And that's where I go back to the start where I said, if you win the first and the, and the, first and the fourth quarter every game, you're probably going to come out successful and win. And the Bucs did that, right? They, they outscored the Hawks by 10 in the fourth. They outscored the Hawks by, by five in the first. And so, but I, I do wonder, like, is that part of the, the issue is that they're just a little tired and it, it's like, okay, we finally got to breathe. And then it's like, takes them a while to kind of turn that energy back up. Uh, but yeah, they just need to come out better in that, that second half. Uh, that's now two straight games. So it's a little bit of a concerning trend. I just hope it doesn't continue this week in the end season tournament. And then lastly, I, I mentioned it at the start, but the, you're 14 and six in your first 20 games. You're nine and one at home. That's pretty damn good, man. Like, I know there's a lot of critiques about this Bucks team, but that's that's a really solid start to your season. Now, I know some proponents will say, oh, they've played nobody. They've had a pretty weak strength of schedule. Fine, fuck it. You you're, you play who you you're, is in front of you, right? You take care of business against the teams that matter. And the Bucks did just that. And so I, I think that's something to be really proud of. Also, they've won nine straight at home, now that I think about it. They had that awful game against the Hawks on that Sunday, and since then, they have not lost at home, which is kind of an interesting nugget for the in-season tournament. I know the Knicks are playing well, but I think that's something worth noting. The Bucks, also, by the way, because since we're all obsessed with net rating, the Bucks have the second-highest net rating in the last 10 games. They've won eight of their last 10. They have a 7.9 net rating. The only team that's higher is Oklahoma City. The Bucks' offensive net rating during that time is third. Their defensive net rating, which is 114, which is at, used to be high, not high anymore in today's NBA, is 13th. So, like, we all just kind of are forgetting, like, okay, yeah, on a whole for the entire year, things have kind of looked muddy. But when you you get to the recency, you're seeing a Bucks team that's kind of coming together, that's kind of looking the part more and more so very excited for this coming week i think it's going to be a lot of fun against the knicks and i hope it's a successful uh in-season tournament week and we'll obviously cover that all really quickly uh just a few quick hitters before we ride out a very long show thank you guys for for listening um jackson trio officially a brewer uh, love to see it i think it's a great move uh, we talked about it last week but i i just think it's a good risk man i think they are taking a proper risk, a risk that is needed, that you gotta keep up with the teams, you gotta keep up with the sign of the times. It's, we're, we need patience with Trio. No one will, everyone will expect this guy to be a deity, game one. Um, he might start off red hot too, and then he'll get a book on him and he'll struggle. And then it's just, you know, taking the good with the bad. And I think Trio is a hardworking kid. I don't think 
that he is going to grab a bag and just, you know, not necessarily live up to that potential. I think Torrio is is going to be a star. He's going to be a huge name for this Brewers team and be a face, potential face of the franchise. And I'm, I'm very excited for the Jackson Torrio era to begin uh, next year. And, and it, it really just raised the question about what moves the Brewers potentially make in winter meetings, knowing that Trio is now sort of part of your your opening day roster. What guys get moved? You know, do you move Joey Weimer? Do you move Garrett Mitchell? I don't think you move Sal Freelich, but do you move Sal Freelich to second base? I saw that, saw some of that percolating, right? Do you move Sal to second base and and then you know keep all these guys and and figure out a way to get everybody involved? I don't know. It'll be very interesting to see what this team does in winter meetings because I think you could tell me like six different things and I'd believe it. Like, I I think the only thing I'd be surprised about is like Randy o- Rosarena. If they trade for Randy Rosarena, I'd be surprised. But Isaac Paredes, uh, Rays guy who's a first baseman and a huge power hitter. Now he's, he's a total pull hitter, but like, fuck it. That would be a great ad for the Brewers. That would be a great ad for them to get. And I don't think you'd be that, like, if you're telling me Garrett Mitchell for Paredes, I don't know. Might have might have to have a conversation. Might, Mitchell might be a little too much, but anyways. Uh, also, Wade Miley gets a uh, is likely coming back to Brewers on a one year deal. Uh, Wade's the man. Uh, he was a great clubhouse guy. I think with the new coach and Pat Murphy, I think having Wade Miley back in the clubhouse is really going to help things. I think that having that veteran presence is important. I think Wiley, Miley also still has it. Like he obviously had some injuries last year, but he was very comfortable playing behind the Spurs defense. Not a lot of that defense will change from this year to uh, next year. Maybe Adonis is the only one that does change. And I think Wade Miley can still be successful. So if you have him, Peralta, Ashby, and then we'll see about Corbin Burns, like that's that's not bad rotation, right? Obviously with Burns, it's much better. But with those three, it's it's decent. It's good enough for government work, as we'd like to say. Um, maybe get somebody kind of in that second or third, you know, tier level. Um, and not necessarily your ace, if you will, or like a glass now, for example. But kind of in that mid-tier level, another sort of maybe Wade Miley type to fill out that that starting rotation for now until Gasser and Mizorowski are ready. Um, and maybe Gasser and Mizorowski will be ready game one. I don't know. We'll have to see. Uh, I, you know, I think how the Brewers would prefer to do it is put those guys in the bullpen to start and then get them, you know, ramped up to be starters. So we'll see. I'm sure it'll be a crazy week with winter meetings going on for baseball. All right, guys, that does it for today's show. Uh, We'll be back uh, next week. We'll see you then. Bye.